Hello, and welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Corey. Hello, I'm James, the trivia nerd. And I'm Jason, and apparently we're not doing the thing where we say anything but our names. So hi, guys. Welcome in. in. How you doing? Hi. I figured we're like 45 episodes in now. If they don't know where we're from, then they don't care. I've only been in like six episodes, though, so... Yeah, but like I said, then they don't care. Yeah, what's with this hardcore Dween erasure we have going right now? <laughs> you got me. All right, well, uh, I think that's enough small talk. Let's uh, get into our main topic tonight. Oh, no, sir. The small talk hasn't even begun to begin. Uh, We have a a quick announcement that I'm going to pivot to because our very own James, our baby bird in the Trivia Writers Co-op, has talked uh, recently and it seems like is heading in the direction of going solo. Yes, that is right. Uh, After three or four days of brush-off communications, I finally got a hold of the uh, bar owner that's about a mile down the street from me, and she is very excited to pull me in as a trivia host to uh, the nice little dive bar that she's got going on there. And it'll be starting right after March Madness is all done. That way I'm not competing with any basketball games or whatever. So I've got a month to figure out how Facebook works and how to (laughs) advertise on that through her page and my page and everything. And I'm looking forward to being able to control my own show for once. That is awesome, my friend. And I know uh, Corey and several others in the co-op and I have been kind of pushing you to go in this direction because you're you're too damn good at what you do to pay somebody else for the privilege to do your job. Well, I thank you for that compliment. And not to pat myself on the back, but I do feel like you're right on that. I mean, it's it's something that I do pour heart and soul into. It's the closest thing that, I can do to become a game show host, uh, the dream that I've had ever since I was three years old. So I'm just over the moon to be able to do it. And that is so awesome. So uh, I don't know how much information you want to give on this potential slash inevitable beginning down there. But uh, James, do you want to tell us just a little bit, give us a little teaser about where people in the Louisville area can find some really good local trivia action featuring you down the road? Well, sure. Uh, What I'm going to be doing is uh, I'm going to be at Amy Z's bar, uh, which is in the Linden area. And I'm hoping uh, if there are any St. Albert listeners out there from St. Albert School and Parish, apparently that's kind of their go-to place. And uh, they should know me from doing the trivia at the St. Albert fundraiser every year, which unfortunately we weren't able to do this time. But I'm more than happy to have you out there. It'll be Thursday evenings, 7 p.m. And anybody that's from out of town that would like to come by, I'll buy you a beer if you show up. So uh, I'm on my way. Excellent. I was going to say, uh, it's only like a six-hour one-way trip for me. You know at some point, James, I'm going to go down and hijack the crowd at your show for you. Hey, if uh, you know, it's two, two v- against an audience. That's all right with me. James, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Purely hypothetical, of course. But uh, roughly, how much extra money do you think this will mean you'll have in a year? And do you want to know what you could do with that money? Hmm, okay. Yes, let's do Um, this. Let's fucking do this uh, so hard. All right, (laughs) I'll tell you what. I'm even going to go with 
uh, like the initial pay that I'm looking to get for the first couple of weeks and then I'm going to be negotiating higher. So let's just start with the base and I'll just give you a rough estimate of, oh, let's say $4,000. Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. For our listeners in the Trivia Writers Co-op, we've had a long-standing tradition uh, when we talk economics or negotiating a, a pay bump or anything like that, where Corey will jump in and say, well, if you're considering doing this, how much extra would you see in your income every year? And then we'll come back maybe 15 minutes later and give you the most beautiful, ridiculous breakdown of this amazing thing that you could absolutely do with that extra money. So I don't know if Corey is being serious here, but I will put this on future Corey at minimum. We need to see that uh, when we release this episode on the website, we need the breakdown of what James can do with 4,000 extra dollars in the way that only Corey could be a travel agent slash entertainment director slash uh, Amazon shopping aficionado slash lube distributor. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I've seen a few of these breakdowns and he, he gives them in different levels. Like, uh, here's what you could do if you wanted to have a, a casual vacation or if you wanted to go all out for one evening, here's what you could do. Am I correct on that? Uh, that's what he's done with me and several other people before. I think he literally left to do this thing, by the way. I haven't heard from him in a couple <laughs> minutes now. All right. But hey, you and me can you know go ahead and do the show if you want to. Oh, you know, this is what I really wanted at the beginning of the show. So this works out swimmingly for me. Excellent. So well, welcome I, to the, yeah, welcome to the Jason and James show, Quadrivia. Uh, <laughs> well, how, do you want to go on and, and talk about the, the topic or do you want to uh, speculate on what you might think I should spend $4,000 on? Oh, I'm here for the speculation. And the correct answer is, hold on, I have to do some math very quick. Uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly how many gallons of lube you can buy for $4,000 because whenever Corey does one of these, that's my immediate response. In fact, I tried, and I, I think you remember this a year or two ago, to convert our economics within the co-op into a lube-based economy entirely. And uh, to further on that, we're talking about a 55-gallon drum, are we not? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how else you would buy lube at this point. <laughs> Oh, man. Just just dunk. Just dunk yourself. That's All right. So 55 gallon drum of lube on Amazon currently going for. Oh, I have to I have to factor in shipping. Well, it's 55 gallons, you know, uh, two thousand five hundred dollars. So doing some quick back of the envelope calculation here. He said typing uh, that is. It's one and three-fifths barrels, isn't it? 88 gallons of lube, my friend. Yeah. That's uh, that's enough to last you... Week and a half, weeks. two weeks. Yeah, yeah you're fine. <laughs> hey, James, quick question. Uh, do you weigh under 300 pounds? Yes, I do. Okay. I don't know where this is going, but I'm on the trip. Uh, am I going to be shipped somewhere? <laughs> I prefer traveling by, you know, like luxury bus or, or you know, at least economy class airplane. Have you considered being shipped via emptied out drum of lube? <laughs> because I'm How? really just trying to keep the upkeep down. We got to keep the overhead low for, for your new uh, brand. Are you are you branding yourself locally as the trivia nerd? Is that going to be the, the name of your your show, your, your shtick, your Facebook stuff, everything? Or are you going in a slightly different direction? No, it is going to be the trivia nerd. Uh, that's that has always been 
my plan for anything I would do independently. Uh, and even at my other shows uh, where I'm working for LTA, uh, we'll just call it that, um, I will still even introduce myself as James the Trivia Nerd because why not? Okay, so it's kind of your, your nom de plume in the trivia world uh, across mm -hmm. the board? Yeah, that's right. Uh, nice. As I mentioned, as I mentioned in the Persona show a couple weeks back, uh, you know, I just put on this pair of glasses that are, they're like, I don't even, I think they block blue light is what they do. And that's, they're just costume, if you will. But I throw those on and boom, an uh, instant nerd, no matter what else I'm wearing. I love that you take the extra step to kind of frame up the persona. For me, you know, it's for my live shows it's really just i wear a headset that trivia hosts don't wear i exclusively wear sweatpants i'm almost always in a deadpool shirt or a deadpool hat and that's that's just how people know me at this point it didn't take any extra effort it's just kind of an extension of who i am but i i love when people kind of build that persona and i'm yeah. here for that my friend i'm gonna make the damn drive to louisville at some <laughs> point so i can see some hot nerd action well i um even though I said that the Arcade Expo was canceled because it would have been, actually, I think it would have been tonight, would have been the first night uh, over the weekend for it. Uh, they are looking to do it sometime in 2021. So I'd love to have you down and you could see me do my big video game show. Oh, man, that's the one I definitely want to check out. Uh, when is that normally every year, did you say? It's normally around the first weekend or first full weekend of March is when they have it. Ah, see that the thing with that, and I'm, I'm absolutely not here to give uh, a unpaid promotion to some large national trivia competition that takes place around the first week of March every year. But unfortunately, uh. there is a large national trivia competition that takes place around the first week of March every year. That said, given the choice between traveling to Louisville for the expo uh, and some hot local nerd action uh, and going to big national unnamed blah, blah, blah. I think I'm going to make that choice one of these days. Well, that, you know, if uh, they do schedule this expo sometime in, let's say, September or October, you won't have to make the decision and you can just come on down because I think I might actually like to try out that big unnamed uh, trivia convention you're talking about. Be something I'd like to look at because I've never been to it as of yet. Oh, I will say it's a very fun experience uh, and it's so much fun that one of these years I'm going to put together my own with blackjack and hookers. Hmm, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe you should just forget about the blackjack and the no, yeah, <laughs> and, and the trivia, say, yeah. Forget about the. <laughs> I was gonna say forget about the blackjack and the hookers. Just. <laughs> I mean, you could, but that's, really, yeah. then I'm just no. cookie cutter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Paging Corey uh, Marcou, if Corey Marcou is anywhere in the greater American area. James, since this is all about you going solo and you making money, I thought that the best use for this money is to reinvest it in yourself. Uh, so that you could make more money. So, being that you're in Louisville, uh, or near, or whatever, and being as there's a uh, Louisville ladder company, what you're going to do is buy a two foot, a three foot, a four foot, a five foot, a six foot, an eight foot, a 10 foot, a 12 foot, a 24 foot, a 36 foot, and a 40 foot Louisville ladder. Um, those ladders all together come to about $3,160.44 after tax. You're going to spend $10 on a business license, 
to start your ladder renting company. Then there's also a 1996 Chevrolet Astro uh, cargo van for sale by owner in Louisville. And they are only asking $450. This van is burgundy. Uh, it's got 200,000 miles and the owner claims it runs well. So uh, I'm going to give you $200 for gas on that because obviously you need to drive to these people who will be renting your ladder. Windows and... or no in the van? Very important question. Oh, there's there's windows, but they are dark. Okay, they so dark James, follow-up question. Do you live within 500 feet of an elementary school? <laughs> Actually, um, it's very close. 501, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got a hundred dollars set aside to buy yourself four burgundy polos. Uh, and I'm, I'm giving you $25 per polo so that you can get like nice ones. You know, they're not going to like chafe your nipples, you know, like you're, you're going to feel good. Uh, and to top it all off to, to celebrate this new business venture, you, your wife and your daughter are going to go to Mark's feed store. Oh. Are you familiar with Mark's? I am familiar with Mark's, oh, yes. Good. Uh, well, I was looking for corn dogs in Louisville, Kentucky, and this place came up. They don't even fucking have corn dogs. I don't know why they came up. <laughs> but but they do have a basket of fried pickles, which you're going to mm -hmm. uh, share with the table. They have the world's largest barbecue sandwich, which is one pound of pork served with one side item for only twelve twenty nine. dollars uh, so if you guys want to sponsor us, uh, <laughs> which you're going to get for your daughter, because uh, I know that teenage girls have an insane appetite. I've got seven sisters. I saw how much they eat. Um, so you're going to get that for your daughter. You and your wife are both going to have the full slab baby back ribs dinner. And then your wife and daughter are each going to have a slice of buttermilk crunch pie. Um you're going to hold off your full after your ribs dinner. <laughs> that leaves you uh, with just enough money to pay the bill, give the server a $15 uh, tip, and then you're done. Or you know, alternately. No, nope, $4,000. <laughs> 88 gallons of lube delivered right to your house. I got to say, the Mark's Feed Store was the best part of the story so far. <laughs> well... Well, Andrew, <laughs> Tell, how the hell am I going to get a 40 foot ladder into an Econoline van? I said a Chevrolet Astro van. First of all, it's it's shorter than the Econoline. Second of all, <laughs> not helping the case top. here, but <laughs> it goes on top of the van. Yeah, you're going to have to get one of those like orange flags and just stick it on the end and hope. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't save you any money for the orange flag. So maybe like cut up one of your burgundy polos. <laughs> Well, it's a family business. You really only need three. So the topic at hand tonight looks like we want to tailor ourselves to the audience, at least look at the concept of doing so, because when you're going to be doing uh, some trivia hosting, you want to make sure that the audience is going to enjoy you. And sometimes you have to work up and change up what you're doing to make sure that they enjoy themselves because not audience, not all audiences are created equal. So where do we want to start with that? Shall we talk about uh, like public venues? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good place to start as any. I know uh, Corey might like 
emotionally give some pushback on the idea of changing things to the audience so i can't wait to hear some of his takes but uh i don't know i guess i'll, I'll start with a quick question uh, to both of you and kind of throw my opinion as we go uh do you ever change like the difficulty for instance of your questions based on what you think that particular venue that bar that pub that whatever uh is is going to react to better or want more um basically the question on the table is do you do you try to find that sweet spot intentionally based on your notions or your experience with the people that come out to that particular show? I'm going to give that a big yes. Uh, I have been a host or at least a question writer and judge for shows that have had nearly 50 teams as a huge fundraiser. And when you have that many people, you have to be able to differentiate when it comes to scoring and knowledge to make sure that you do have a spread of scores and not everybody is pegging 100% on that one. So whenever I have something that big, I tend to throw in more difficult questions throughout. I don't make it so that every question is going to be a head-scratcher. I still do plenty of the, the softballs to get things going, medium-sized questions so that Everybody can talk about them, but then I got to throw in some that we don't always like to have the questions that's, you know, if you know it or you don't mm -hmm. kind of things. But if you don't have those in there, sometimes it can cause a, a log jam at the top of the leaderboard and you don't want to have that. See, that's, the, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, an, that's an interesting perspective. That's not something that I generally kind of think about when I'm writing uh, to a particular audience, but I, I definitely see the value in that. Um, as for me, and I'm just going to throw this out there because it's kind of time sensitive as of time of recording, I have a brand new live venue. We've never done a show in it. It's uh, was supposed to start up a couple days ago um, due to weather and COVID concerns and kind of short term promotion. It didn't have enough people to kind of take off that night. So we're going to try it again the following Monday. But I will say that I definitely uh, put together a question set that I thought went a little easier because I want to kind of ease people, uh, especially those who haven't seen our experience into feeling good. I'm, I'm not necessarily aiming at softballs, but you know, whereas sometimes I would aim for uh, a difficulty of like seven out of 10 on a question, I dialed it back to like a five or a six, uh, found a set of questions and a set of topics for my theme round that I thought would play kind of broad spectrum because frankly, I don't know what to expect in here. It's in an area in the Chicago, uh, suburbs that I haven't done a whole lot of work in. Uh, it's uh, it's a tap room and it's a brand new tap room. Uh, and it's a very competitive kind of strip in that particular suburb. So I, I truthfully am going in kind of blind. And if I'm going to go in blind, I'm probably going to aim for more feel good questions than I am for, like you said, the, the differentiators, just broadly speaking. When it comes to hosting at bars, do you feel like the alcohol is a big effector as well. I mean, uh, some of the shows that I have done, uh, we've got people that are going to be even not the ones at bars, but just fundraisers. They have alcohol there. And that's sometimes all that some teams really are concentrating on. So oh, do you, the here for the beer. Yeah. So do you um, do you think about them or do you just write the show and, you know, the people that are there to play are really the only ones you care about? All right. So pre-COVID, uh, to answer your question, I had I, probably of all the venues that we had on the books, I had one that was definitely my quote unquote rowdy bar. Uh, it's very small place, very niche kind of MO, and it attracted a loud, I, 
I want to say burly without giving off the wrong impression of burly, but definitely a boisterous crowd. And we kind of, of over the years, built in this psychosocial thing where I'm not going to write easier questions because you guys are doing shots between rounds. Instead, I'm going to do shots between rounds with you, and then you're all just going to fucking hate me. <laughs> and for whatever reason, it worked. They They knew going in after a while what to expect and they would like boisterously boo me on a question that only one or two teams got right and i'd you know i'd take it on the chin but i'd take it in good in good graces you know yeah. um but yeah i mean a lot of it is is economics frankly because i was doing a little bit of volume at the time we had you know six or seven venues on the books and it is as a solo writer it is really hard to just churn out that kind of content on a regular basis so the big dirty secret uh is that we would write one or two sets a week and my regular players have the understanding that they could play at venue a they could play at venue b but then they couldn't play at like venue c uh and i didn't see enough of a drop off in participation among like the diehards uh, to not validate the decision to cut my writing effectively in half. Uh, and I didn't see an effect in the scores or any concerns about cheating or lasciviousness or anything like that. So with that said, I have in general had have had to write a more broad spectrum kind of approach um, because what I would write for venue A is not necessarily what will work best for venue V. So I have to kind of split the difference. Oh, I, I've had that issue myself when asking questions from the company that I work for, um, especially when I would have probably what you like some older clients to play. Uh, and they're asking, you know, why are you asking so many things about modern music and modern television? You're not doing enough, uh, you know, oldies stuff in there. Mm. But I also think that in the city that they're headquartered, that probably it skews towards a younger crowd. So uh, I don't think that they are necessarily looking at it the same way you are trying to split the difference. Uh, they, you know, it, it just might be that they're just writing it uh, for the majority. And that might be, you know, a little upsetting to some of the crowds that I've worked with. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to, you know, send a, a little bit of feedback uh, to them. And I don't, it's been so long, I honestly don't even remember what the outcome was, but I don't think it's really changed as much. Okay, okay. Uh, that actually brings me to something that I want to bring up. Not so much difficulty of questions from venue to venue, but uh, not so much for me, but I think more so for you guys. Uh, since you change the the general categories that you use from show to show, do you find yourself uh, writing more specific content as far as categories go for certain venues versus others? Um, you know, actually, I I kind of found myself doing the same thing that that you just described, where, um, you know, obviously pre-pandemic, I there was a lot of fluctuation, but you know, I'd be in six, seven venues a week, mm -hmm. and I I started off trying to have different stuff at every show, and it just wasn't worth it for the amount of time that I was putting into it. So uh, I too started doing you know just one or two shows a week. And didn't see people, you know, crossing from bar to bar. So uh, I also just kind of, kind of plateaued my writing. Um, went a little more neutral stuff that would work at every venue. Um, with minor changes, minor exceptions. Like I, I've got one venue that is 
particularly um, dumb. And <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> I mean, I tell them that. So I guess I there's nothing wrong with telling the world. I won't tell you. I love that this podcast can give potential hosts and writers both the right answer and the wrong answer so they can compare and contrast <laughs> on their own. Well, um, yeah, this is this one, Vinny, the one where the players don't do particularly well has only been around for about a year and a half. So I've got a lot of backlog um, that I can I can fall back on if mm -hmm. Like just this week, uh, a little bit different because I, I wrote a specialty uh, trivia night because it was a, a long time regular's birthday. And uh, naturally, a lot of the stuff that I used wouldn't work at other bars that that regular is not at or not playing at. And so I'm able to just swap out the rounds that don't work. If a round is too targeted for one venue or too too hard for another venue, I can go into the backlog and just pull up something easier, something that's going to work a little bit better, and I'll, I'll swap in a round here or there. So I don't I don't try to write specifically for one venue, but I also mm. don't like go hardcore neutral for every venue because I can. I've got enough wiggle room in my prep time that I can write a new round if I need to, or I can sub in something old. So uh, that's that's how I approach it. Okay, and that, that honestly sounds like a pretty good approach in general. It contrasts a little with mine. Uh, just going back to how I kind of handle scale, I don't do a lot of hot swapping from venue to venue. Instead, uh, the format that I use as far as like categories and scoring and everything actually kind of lends itself pretty well to balancing uh, a broad spectrum general knowledge night for the wheelhouses of the particular clientele at a particular venue. Um, you know, once a week for a long time, I was doing, you know, kind of a family pizzeria sports bar style restaurant. And what I noticed is that that venue uh, definitely wagered a lot higher in my sports and games round than say uh, my local neighborhood craft bar did in fact it was kind of a running joke at that bar uh on monday nights where you know i'd say okay guys get ready for round number two uh go ahead and sign your wagers i will come by and collect those one point wagers from you now <laughs> and we just kind of powered through it everybody knew i wasn't going to change the format because it was already broad spectrum and they understood and acknowledged that hey you know if this isn't my round one of these is not going to be my round it's going to be this one and we're all just going to enjoy not knowing hockey content for 20 minutes Except for the one damn team that would always put their maximum wager on it and just run away with it. But, you know, it all balances out in the end. Uh, how about you, James? Do you change it up uh, category-wise based on what you think is going to be popular from place to place? Oh, for sure. Uh, especially with the fundraisers. Uh, I have done a couple that have been high school sports teams. And being that you've got a lot of softball and basketball and football players there you're probably going to have a lot of families there supporting them, and they're probably going to be uh, pretty sports-heavy in the way that uh, they have knowledge, uh, especially being here in a college sports city big time. Uh, you got a lot of people who are going to be interested in the Cards and the Cats and IU and some of the local teams around here. So I do try to uh, at least put a couple of categories that are going to be sporty to say the least 
uh, and other things that might also be good for some of the uh, younger people that might be there. Because, uh, you know, sometimes the high school kids, when they're there, they're, you know, just they, they don't feel like that they're going to do well playing. But maybe I'll, you know, throw them some questions that might actually be uh, something that they're interested in. So, you know, having a daughter that's uh, a teenager does help me when I'm doing some of that writing so I can figure out what people are talking about on like VR chat on the Oculus. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's been my experience as uh, the father of a 14 year old that 14 year olds are notoriously interested in things. He said incredibly <laughs> sarcastically. Yeah. You know, I, I feel, I don't know if it's, it's me failing as a host failing to, uh, identify my audience or if they are just constantly uh, changing themselves but I think another reason that I, I don't really try to uh, particularly cater to my crowd with every round every week is anytime I do I am just constantly surprised by what they do or don't know like rounds that I will write specifically for a specific venue, you know, say this venue has a bunch of uh, nerds that are always talking about like video games and uh, wearing Pokemon shirts and they'll take the scoring breaks to run outside and and catch some Pokemon Go, <laughs> like fucking whatever. Like, like I've, I've got that. That happens. And then I'll, I'll write a, a picture round, you know similar to the old Pokemon cartoon where I just show an outline and say, what Pokemon is this? And I'll have an average score of like three. Huh. Or I'll pull up a round that I wrote for a different venue or a different time, which I don't, you know, I'll, I'll do a, a just hardcore rap music round in my far North Idaho venue that's always asking for country music. And they'll get perfect scores. Uh, it's, I mean, on one hand, it's awesome to know that they're not fitting into the stereotypes that I'm expecting them to. But on the other, sometimes I, I would like to write specific stuff for them, but it's just so hard. Because they're complicated and nuanced and fuck them, right? Yeah, it's like every one of them is an individual, and I don't oh. have time for that shit. God, fit in our boxes, guys. We can't just right? keep writing. <laughs> my my best advice now is just write what you're going to write and let the right crowd find you. You know, that, that actually really <laughs> is probably of... the smartest thing we've said all episode, yeah. But it is the opposite of our topic, so... <laughs> But, you know, let's let's go down the rabbit hole here and pretend like we're going to make the good faith effort. Um, <laughs> you know, how about how about like format? We've talked about difficulty. We talked about categories. Uh, I don't change my format so much from venue to venue. I've tested a couple ideas. I've workshopped some stuff from venue to venue. Uh, and basically, I'm a one size fits all kind of thing when I do live shows. It's here is my format. This is what I promoted. This is what I sold to the bar. This is what has attracted our regulars. So if I... If I dick around with it too much, I run the risk of of turning somebody off, be it, you know, the paying client or a handful of teams. Uh, do you guys find yourself changing, like tweaking your format from from venue to venue or from event to event? 
from venue to venue for a weekly show is definitely a different animal than something that is a semi-annual to annual thing that might be happening. Uh, for the most part, I keep a general format of we're going to have this many rounds and we're going to have five, eight, or ten questions per round. And it's really mostly due to how long the show length is going to be. Um, I might end up doing ten questions in ten rounds, and you're looking at a possible four-hour show. And some places don't want something that's going to go into the wee hours, so I might back it off and we'll do eight by eight or you know, six by eight or something, just keeping it a little bit shorter so that it doesn't run as long. But I like to do those categorized things for my fundraiser shows. That's what people tend to like as well. Um, there is one show at a Presbyterian church. They like the decades format. So I tend to stick with that. So we have an entire category of the 1950s and then a 1960s. But each question also falls into a different category as well. So mm -hmm. every round there's going to be, you know, a, a, a commercials, a music, a uh, military, so that they're going to see something sports, consistent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, other places, I just like to, you know, just do whatever they might want to see. If I'm able to do pictures or audio rounds, great. It really just depends on if they have the capability to do so with their equipment. And I love to, to throw those rounds in because it's a little bit more interesting for the players and that's also harder to cheat on audio <laughs> and video rounds. That's actually a really smart thing for you to have brought up because I experimented with audio video questions at my live shows you know, 10, 11 years ago. Uh, and unfortunately, because I was in a wide variety of places with different technical capabilities and different layouts, I found I don't want to uh, because mm -hmm. I'm always paranoid that, you know, on a busy night, somebody has to sit in like the far back of the room because that's where the table is. They're going to be at a competitive disadvantage because they can't see the picture as well or if the acoustics are kind of problematic and I can barely get people to understand the sound of my voice, I don't want to have to present an audio question that they're going to have to identify like a commercial jingle uh, or, you know, a name that tune style thing. So in general, I've, I've walked away from doing multimedia questions by and large, specifically because some venues don't lend themselves to it. You know, that was my, uh, that was my experience pre pandemic. Um, I would, to some extent change my format from venue to venue based on their limitations you know what what they couldn't handle uh like if they didn't have tvs then i couldn't do a picture round because i didn't want to you know print out 20 picture round sheets every week or if i couldn't set up a speaker there then we'd skip the uh, audio round etc mm. but through the pandemic things have changed you know I, i've gotten rid uh completely of of paper answer sheets everything is done through the phone now which allows me to put the picture round right into the answer sheet so now i don't have to worry about whether venues have tvs they can still always have an answer round or a picture round because the teams will be able to see the pictures on their phone and take their time with it look at it as, as close to their face as they want to 
Um, and there's also options like that for audio now too. Um, there are like private, I guess, kind of radio channels that you can set up uh, where you can curate your own playlist and push that out to other people's phones. Uh, they'd all hear it at the same time, or you can put it in a Google Drive folder and let them listen, you know, at their own speed, something that mm. that I've uh, done on Twitch. And I know you do something kind of similar through Discord on Twitch. I'm... I'm looking at this as as being a great chance to really lock in the format and say this is what it's going to be from now on. Um, I don't have to worry about some venues not getting this experience or that experience. I can now give everyone the same thing. Uh, because for me, the, the format is part of my brand. Uh, it, it has changed almost not at all since i first started in fact the the only formatting change between my very first show and today is that i swapped the order of two of the rounds <laughs> i i used to do my music round for round three my picture round for round four and mm. i i swapped uh my round two with my round three so that there would be not two multimedia rounds back to back. That's the only change I've made. Oh, that makes um, sense. So it's I'm I'm actually really excited for this going forward, knowing that I can bring the picture rounds back to some of those venues that weren't able to to utilize it pre pandemic and and really strengthen, I guess, kind of the the I, I don't know, I think of it as the voice of my brand. Like People know if they go to a third degree trivia show, they're going to get um open format, an audio format, a limited choice, a picture or other multimedia, and a general knowledge. And now they can know to expect that anywhere they go. See, that's that's an interesting approach for sure. And I only bring that up in contrast because the move online that I've undertaken in the last year is kind of gone in the opposite route uh, as far as the content that I'm putting out. And that's because I'm an insane man who does insane things. Yeah. Uh, but it, because my dumb ass decides to be on Twitch basically seven days a week, I needed some variety in the uh, the scheduling. So there is what I call my classic trivia format. And it's the one I primarily talk about here on the podcast. That's the five rounds, 50 questions kind of thing but um people are going to get sick of that and i'm going to get sick of pushing content out for that so i've i've spent the last year just trying to be creative in terms of formatting so i have a couple different ideas that i've come up with uh as far as both team and individual trivia-esque games that i push out on twitch um on a weekly basis uh just as a quick example i recently came up with an idea called intersectionality uh where we present 25 questions each question is somewhere at the intersection of two broad-based topics. So we kind of grid them out, put five topics across the top and then five topics down the side. Those are user suggested. And then I have to sit there for about three hours and figure out how the hell to connect the two things. And it's it's a different kind of fun I've noticed both for me as a writer and for the, the viewing audience because it's not intended to be a competitive game. It's more, you know, just a love of, of knowledge and, and trying to, to suss things out and to see how the hell two things can connect in what is ostensibly a fair game trivia question. 
So the freedom yeah. of slash requirement of having to come up with with variety means I'm in general kind of open ended to change things up uh, with the exception that my live shows, like you said, are, are branded a very specific way. And I probably won't tweak those too much. What I think I'll find myself doing down the road is giving more offerings. Yeah, and I like that. And that's yeah, I, I think that's definitely the way to go with it, too. I mean, I, I mean, I, I see you doing the the Tringo and the music bingo and just all of the shit that you've got going on. And I'm, I would love, love to be able to offer new things like that. But they would have to be, for me, they would be a separate offering. If you want the third degree trivia, you're getting A. But if you want Tringo, you can have Tringo too. Yeah, that's what I was doing uh, with my original format of Tringo. It was a different concept that I was doing specifically for like full themed games. You know, my Disney game, my Marvel game, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, because I didn't, I didn't want to be in a situation where I was replacing something that's general knowledge and has been general knowledge for a long time that people were scheduling for and saying, okay, well, this venue wanted to do a Marvel night. So instead of replacing that night and saying, okay, so next Thursday or whatever, we're going to be doing a special Marvel game. Uh, and then, you know, the turnout's going to be a crapshoot. I do them in a separate format as a one-time pre-announced special event on a different day. And it's, it's double dipping. I'm not going to lie to you. It's absolutely fair, about though. trying to get that dollar dollar bill, uh, but also <laughs> not risking alienating my my longstanding audience, you know? Yeah, I, th I think that's totally fair, though. I mean, you're putting in different work. You're putting in extra work for it. You deserve to be paid for it. Um, James, what about you on this? I know that it's a little bit different because you're, you know, going with what the company tells you to do. But now that you're mm -hmm. looking at doing your own thing, are you going to kind of lock yourself into this is my format? We're going to make this work. Are you going to try and stay with the public ones? Yeah. Are you going to try um, to stay flexible? Well, when I made the phone call today, I asked her uh, what she might be looking for. And I gave her a rundown of some of the general formats uh, that I've seen used at shows uh, and what she might have seen, uh, what we might call the casual which uses that one three five point system where you can choose how many points you want a question to be worth and you use each point value once per round. Mm -hmm. That's what my company uses. So you get about 20 questions in two hours. Uh, and I'll tell you, the venues that I do that at love that format. They love that you get to hear a, an entire song. You get to think for three and a half minutes or you can go, you know, uh, go to the bar and get a drink while you're thinking or whatever. Uh, and they don't want anything more intense than that. I know that uh, geeks who drink, for example, they don't actually have any more offerings in Louisville anymore. But uh, I did go to a show, and I think it's uh, eight rounds of eight questions. And I think they did that in two and a half hours. And so 64 right, questions. Yeah. yeah, 64 questions, including media uh printed and uh, sound music whatever you want to say audio uh you know in the same amount of time i, I was kind of impressed by that i thought wow you know it, this is the kind of trivia i might like to play though you know where you get more rapid fire questions over some different topics versus 20 general knowledge in the same amount of time uh so during the phone call i said 
out of these two options plus something, you know, maybe in the middle, uh, what kind of things would you want to see? And she said, well, you're the expert. I was like, well, <laughs> uh, okay, I, I kind of am, but I, I wanted to make sure that what you want to see is also put into this. So she just kind of left it up to me to choose what I wanted to do. And actually, I'm going to do a, a slight hybrid. I am going to stick with the casual 135, but I am going to have one round of maybe like eight questions that are a little bit more rapid fire where uh, you might have just one minute to think about it. So it's like okay. a, a quick little theme round. That way you get a little bit of intensity in there uh, and the rest of the, the game can just be a nice uh, layback and, and enjoy it. So I'm going to give it a try at least and let you know how it goes. Yeah, definitely. Please do. And can I can I tell you a dirty little secret, James? Mm, please. So when I started building my format all the way back in like 2009, uh, the format that you're talking about, the 20 questions, uh, yeah. the one, three, five wager, the, you know, play a full song in between. Uh, those were all things that I noted that my local competitors were doing uh, mm -hmm. when I sat down and went, how can I do this better? <laughs> so in no way am yeah. I trying to throw shade on the format, but like the first thing I looked at is, okay, so if they're going to fill two hours with 20 questions for X amount of money, uh, one of the selling points that I can bring in as I break into the scene is, well, I'm going to offer more than double the content in the same amount of time for the same amount of money, uh, just as a selling point. And that's largely where my my five by 10 format came from was, well, this seems fine. I think I can do more. So let's do more. You know, when you say that, um, I'm going back to the weekly venue that I host at, and I actually ask the folks there, do you like the format that we're playing now, or would you prefer something with more trivia and more content? And it was pretty much uh, like 90 to 100%, we like this current format. I guess, though, the thing is, these are the people that are there. You know, they like the format, they're the ones showing up. If it were a different format altogether, would it have drawn a bigger crowd yes probably a different crowd but would it have been more lucrative for the bar and and for me so boy you know i mean you just saying that makes me think would i want to try to to ramp it up but at the same time i don't know what kind of clients i'm gonna have i mean uh i'm gonna probably start off the show just like i said with uh the 135 format with a little bit of a blitz round of eight questions in a row and just see what they think and see how many of them come back week after week and, you know, ask them because if I am going to get the clientele from that uh, one church and parish, which I mean, that's the place that has 40 to 50 teams for, a, for an annual trivia night. Maybe those are the kind of people that want more trivia. Uh, so I'm just going to have to play it by ear to start off with and see what, what comes of it that is that's definitely interesting that that you bring it up that way because my experience has been people like what they know and they're incredibly resistant to change uh and and i think we're going to transition off of this topic in just a moment but i, I just want to put a pin on it by saying you know about eight years ago because i have a bit of a programming background i decided that i was going to try to 21st century my show this is way before uh, HQ trivia or any trivia apps were really out. So I, I did some development with like Android tablets as a response mechanism because 
pen and paper is is easy it's basic everybody understands it i had already moved to what i thought was a little beyond that with whiteboards and markers for a couple different reasons branding being one of them so the next natural step for me was well why don't i give them like a cheapo 50 dollars tablet per team and they can type or draw or write answers in that come in automatically and sometimes can be auto graded and you know let's let's definitely kind of like I said, 21st century by this show, there was so much damn pushback on that. You have mm. no idea. Everybody missed the hell out of those cheap ass whiteboards and markers that they would spend 20 minutes a night just doodling on for no good reason, <laughs> which I built into the new software, the doodling capability. <laughs> um, that said, fast forward to 2020 and people don't want to go back to them because of apps like TrivNow or, or CrowdPur or things yeah. that they've become accustomed to because of the pandemic, uh, they don't want to go back. And it's it's night and day, and it's basically the same idea, just separated by circumstance. Yeah, I will say, James, if, if you think that you can bring in, I'm not going to say better, but a, a larger or a different crowd by changing up that format you were talking about, or if you simply want to try doing something else this is the perfect time to do it because these people have had you know a year-long break from the regular coming into something new is going to be a lot easier than changing it after they've gotten used to it again well i've got some things to mull over because i've uh, boy i tell you i've got so many ideas pinging around in my head and it's like, I want to have fun with it because, you know, if I'm going to go to a trivia show, you know, question one, answer one, congratulations, let's move on. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, it's like, let's have, uh, you know, like uh, special categories about things that happen, current events, things around the city, uh, you know, th just anything that will make it a little bit more interesting uh, that's, you know, so it's, it's actually hard for me to pin down exactly what I want. So I'm, uh, I've got some thinking to do. That's for sure. I want to, I want to pose a question to Jason here. Um, okay. Specifically geared towards private events. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody reaches out to you, a, a business, say it's a, a corporate party. They want trivia. They say, we like you we like your attitude your personality we like your questions but we don't like the format we want you to come in but we want you to ask it like this we want these topics what do you do so there are two answers to this question and that answer changes around march depending how much they're paying you uh, no, in, in the before times, um, because I wrote my own software solution and because a lot of that platform was very hard coded to the bog standard format that I was using, uh, the answer was for technical reasons, largely, I don't have a whole lot of flexibility. I can do one theme round and I'm thrilled to, to write something about your organization or your company or, or what have you. And I'll definitely do it, but you know, because everything else was kind of hard coded in uh, the the standard format, the the fifty questions, the the wagers, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't have a ton of flexibility on. Now, post uh, March twenty twenty, since I've basically abandoned that platform entirely, 
uh, in lieu of an amazing platform called Trivnow, uh, gives me a lot more flexibility. And at this point, yeah, whatever you want, you're paying me. I kind of agree with that as well. Um, you know, if a, a place wants to have something where we're talking about the history of the school that I'm at, they want a category on that. Uh, if I can find the information out, sure, I'll have that as a round. Uh, if they want something because it's the sports team fundraiser, you want something about sports, fine, I'll research it, I'll do it. Um, if they want me to, you know, nobody's really asked me to change the format. It's more of really just the, the categories and the questions mm -hmm. that are going to be coming at them. And it... As much as I like to do that, I've found that either you're going to have somebody that is pretty eager to tell you what they want, and that makes me very happy, or it's like pulling teeth and you can't get anything from them, and then the night of, they're wondering why you didn't do something like this, and it's like, <laughs> well, I gave you so many opportunities, and, and you just didn't tell me. So, you know, I, I want to be able to customize a show, especially if it's going to be once a year. I want it to be something memorable so that you'll come back to it again and again. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. Um particularly for the private events or you know the the once a year shows, things like that. I'm I'm all about giving them what they want. Like you want me to do 10 questions on this one roller coaster? Okay. Like it's it's your employees or your staff or your mm -hmm. whatever that's going to be uh, <laughs> pissed off at you for <laughs> requesting it. I'll do it. Like it, a private event, you get what you want. I'll tell you what it's going to cost you. And if you want to pay for it, you can have it. Uh, very different from a public event. You know, my weeklies. Right. I go into those and I tell them, this is what you're going to get. If you want something different, it's going to cost you quite a bit more. And I still might not do it. Um, no, that's fair, definitely. I mean, I'm not going to, you're not going to pay me. And then I'll be like, oh, I decided not to. But um, yeah, it's night and day, you know, public venues. I'm, I'm talking shit to the teams. I'm letting them know how dumb their answer was. Private event, a corporate holiday party. Oh my God, that was such a good guess. <laughs> you guys, you might not win, but you're my favorite. <laughs> Don't forget to write the uh, write write my name with an E in it. There you go. Yep, sign yep. that check. Great. <laughs> See um, the 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 advantage <laughs> that I've had when it comes to writing like bespoke questions for a very niche topic, uh, and I'll give two very quick examples. So. Once a year, I do a fundraiser for a local organization. It's a it's a youth soccer program called the LaGrange Celtics, and they manage like 17 or 18 youth teams. Uh, the organization, the organization's point of contact uh, is somebody who found me through my weekly pub trivia show. So they knew what they were getting when they brought me in. Fortunately, uh, their big ask every year is we need to do one round specifically about the organization, to which I said, great, send me 10 questions. I'll include them. Uh, so fortunately, they do all the research because they have all that information readily available. Uh, the counterpoint to that is through that, I picked up another annual uh, private event for another local 
like community organization in a town called Westchester, uh, to which they said, well, we want a roundabout Westchester in some way, shape or form. So I said, okay, cool. I don't need to do some hyper deep dive research. Uh, I, I monkeys pawed it a little bit. And the first time I went in to do that game, uh, was about two years ago. And I wrote a 10 question round about famous Wests, famous Chesters and famous things that have to do with the name Westchester. And that remarkably went over well. People kind of like the, ch- the tongue in t- uh, cheek nature of it. I had something similar when I had a high school uh, assumption was the name of it. And it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do a round about the high school itself, but I did do a paper puzzle round where I had some, let's say 25 or so crossword clue uh, type questions and all of the answers came from the letters in Assumption. So it was something that connected to them, even though it really kind of didn't, but it was mm-hmm. something that was still kind of fun. Uh, you know, being able to give them uh, the puzzle sheet so people who maybe aren't paying attention to the questions very much, it gives them something to do uh, while the harder questions are going on or something they can't talk about. They start try to solve those out. And, you know, literally the answer is kind of in front of them because all the letters are there. So, uh, you know, being able to put a personal touch on a show like that, I think is it, it makes everybody happy. Honestly, the people that are there, the people that are putting it on uh, and, and gives you those brownie points. Yeah, about the only thing I don't like about doing that kind of bespoke local knowledge kind of content for a private event is when it gets into like corporate culture for an mm-hmm. organization like a company. I've I've had people uh, that book me for like their their annual company party where the fifth round that they would submit to me. Thankfully, I didn't have to do a bunch of research, um, had some like local lore involved. And I don't mean like the history of the company. I mean, like objects on the general manager's desk style content. And that like as a trivia writer and researcher bugs me a little bit because I'm going in completely blind. I don't know how well known this is or how important of information this is. I mean, obviously it's trivial and obviously it's, you know, intended to to kind of poke fun at a particular individual. But like, if I can't fact check it, I don't love asking it, you know? Mm. That's a good point. Um, I don't think that I've ever had anything quite like that. Um, I think the worst thing that happened to me was a venue uh, organizer wanted to help me out. I mean, you know, I say, hey, do you have any certain kinds of categories or questions that you want? And they're like, yeah, here, I wrote some. Oh, um, and, you know, I take them, I look at them, and they're just, you know, I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, anything that's ever handed to me is bad. And uh, because, you know, you everybody has their own style of writing and everything, but there's a, a difference between tweaking a question so it kind of fits your style versus having to almost throw it out and and completely redo it right right so i you know i like to be able to to have a little bit more control you know hey i like a little bit of help but sometimes it's uh not helping all right um as we're getting towards the the end here of our our round table i want to do something a little bit different we haven't done this in any episodes yet um I think we should all take just one to two minutes, uh, almost an elevator pitch type situation. 
give some advice, you know, kind of wrap up what we were talking about here. Tell the people who are listening, you know, what they uh, could or should do in this situation themselves. And uh, let's take that to push out of this topic. Wait, are, are you guys down for that? Yeah, I kind of like this. This is novel. All right. I'm down. Right. And, and I'm, I'll, down. I'm not going to uh, just kind of throw you guys under the bus with it either. I'll, I'll start us off on it. Um, the only thing I, I really want to throw out there uh, for anyone who is considering this is your audience does matter. They're the reason you're there. Um, they're showing up so that you can show up. So making sure they're happy is important. You do want to uh, make adjustments, do some tailoring to ensure they're going to stay interested, they're going to stay uh, invested in your show. But at the same time, and especially at the beginning of a show, if you're just starting up or you're just opening a new venue, do what you want to do. And if you do it well, the people who will enjoy that will show up. And that prevents you having to make changes, having to, to tailor anything. Instead, you can tailor your audience instead of tailoring, tailoring yourself to them. Um, good luck. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up on that because you're leading me into some pretty interesting ideas. I guess my best advice about tailoring yourself to your audience would be don't overemphasize doing it. Um, you're you're basically out there you're you're building your own brand everybody kind of wants to stand out nobody wants to be the same default cookie cutter you know trivia host or trivia format but at the same time be open to considering changes talk to your audience find out what's working especially early into your career find out what's not don't be afraid to experiment don't be afraid to to kind of massage things and tweak them up. Uh, you're not out there necessarily to reinvent the wheel with every idea, but you are absolutely within your rights and strongly encouraged to, you know, take the existing format or information that you have about the trivia world and put your own spin on it. Uh, the thing that you definitely don't want to do in my estimation is get yourself into a situation where you're doing format a at venue one and format B at venue two and format three at venue C, because then your, your workload, your creative load, your overhead is going to be so high that it's probably not going to be sustainable long-term. So to that, I would say, find your best fit kind of one size fits all format. Don't be afraid. Don't be locked in to, to tweak things a little bit from venue to venue. And honestly, if you can find ways to make things collaborative, you can utilize uh, opportunities for your longstanding teams to suggest categories or even uh, bring somebody up to be a guest host for one round that, you know, doesn't affect your your overall uh, difficulty or doesn't affect, you know, the results. Uh, strongly consider doing it. Play around with the ideas. Um, you're getting into trivia, presumably, because you are a creative individual. And I am not here to tell you not to exercise every creative muscle you have. You know, it's almost a little tough for me to follow up on what both of you said because it almost sounded like you were directing it to me in a way, uh, which I, I appreciate wholeheartedly for sure. Oh, I no, mean, Corey, even... he figured it out. <laughs> but, you know, is that the By only reason I'm ladders. here? 
am I the fish? Is that the thing? I look around the poker table and I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> that's the only reason I'm here. It's trying to improve me. But, you know, I mean, even though I have been doing uh, shows in some capacity for well over 10 years, uh, this is going to be my first foray into doing my very first weekly show that is absolutely mine. So I know what it's like to have to uh, mold myself a little bit to what an audience wants. Uh, it's just that now this time I'm going to be doing it uh, for, you know, a smaller group and it's a little bit more personable uh, and I'll be able to uh, be a little bit more, I, I guess, intimate with it. So uh, I, I guess if it's going to be your first time out there being a trivia host, just like these fellas said, uh, you're probably a very creative person. Have fun with it. That's what I intend to do is have fun. Uh, I try not to look at trivia hosting as a job more than it is a fun hobby where I get to connect with people and get a little cash on the side for it. So have fun with it. With that, the the only last thing I have to say about this topic is uh dear audience if you have any feedback on this if you have any uh questions regarding the things that we've said on this or think we missed anything or if you want to suggest a different topic shoot us an email quadriviapod at gmail.com uh, and with that we are going to go into this week's keyword challenge which james is going to tell us all about all right. Well, the keyword challenge, as it is every week, we have been sent a word or phrase by one of our listeners, and the three of us are going to then take about a 10-minute break to try to write a good, fulfilling trivia question that mentions the keyword either in the question or in the answer in some way. And hopefully we'll all have a different tack on what that means. And you're going to be able to vote on which one you think is the best. We'll give you more details about that shortly. But it looks like, as I reach in and dig around into the bucket here, I pull out and I see that Katie Kyle from Illinois. What? Is, how do you say that city there? I would, uh, I would assume that's Katie Kyle in Lyle. Yep. In Lyle. That's okay. how you know. It's nice. Katie Kyle and she rhymes with Lyle. That's fantastic. All right. And the keyword is sponge. So, gentlemen, we've got to write a question that has something to do with the word sponge. Are you ready to take 10 minutes? Yeah. I am good to go. Yeah, fuck it. That's the spirit. We'll see you after the break, everybody. <laughs> hey, everyone. Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at QuadriviaPod on Twitter, on Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast, and you can always email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. And we are back. I don't know about you guys. I did some light calisthenics. I touched a toe. Um, we're hoping for two next time. Uh, but importantly, I wrote my question. I hope you guys did too. And we're going to find out together, uh, as we throw to James here in just a moment with a once again, real quick, thank you to, uh, Katie Kyle out in Lisla, Illinois. I think it's pronounced, 
uh, L-I-S-L-E. We'll, we'll leave it as a an exercise to the listeners uh, to figure out how that's pronounced. Who gave us the keyword sponge. Uh, I have a theory about how one of these questions is going to go. I'm hoping that all three of them didn't go the same direction. But there's one way to find out. James, what do you have for us? All right. Well, I have a question that is what I hope is interesting. It's not necessarily difficult, but not all trivia questions have to be difficult. So here we go. Aaron Krauss realized he had a multi-million dollar idea, so he went on to Shark Tank to pitch it. He partnered with Lori Grenier, who helped him get his polymer sponge onto QVC and into retail stores. His product holds the record for highest revenues of any Shark Tank product. What is the name of his sponge, which is sure to put a smile on your face? Hmm. So the lead in gave in on this makes me think that I'm going to feel real dumb when I see the answer because the answer did not leap out to me. I'm going to have to do some thinking on it. I I think I'm a huge Shark Tank fan. I I love that show. Uh And so I'm I'm feeling pretty confident I know what the answer is, especially because of the little uh tease at the end that that smile on your face uh, mm-hmm. has me 99% sure. Yeah, I keep thinking of products that you wouldn't necessarily call sponges. Like I can't get past ShamWow right now as one of those <laughs> like as seen on TV absorbent things. What's oh, I know there's another one. Uh and it's I'm just having a mental blank on this. Like super absorbent. Oh, let me read through this again. We'll just try to uh, fill in the blank. It's a polymer it's not, yeah, sponge. It's, yeah, it's a polymer sponge. It's not necessarily I wouldn't even say that it's super absorbent necessarily. I mean, no more than any sponge would be, I guess. I mean, the other thing that's jumping to mind that I'm pretty sure is wrong is like a magic eraser kind of thing. I just, I'm, I'm whiffing on this. Corey, save me, please. Um, you want me to just throw out my answer? Uh, yeah, by all means. Uh, I believe it is the scrub daddy. Yes, the Scrub Daddy, the polymer sponge that is flexible in hot water and stiff in cold water, pitched on Shark Tank, uh, earning revenues of over $200 million. It's the top earner for any Shark Tank product, I suppose. Well, I mean, I know that the Ring doorbell sold for a lot of money, but uh, this one is like the grassroots product that made it big on the show. And it also has a smiley I think for, face. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I have no <laughs> the, the familiarity with this product. A, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I could picture it. I don't know that I've ever heard of it. I'm not a Shark Tank guy in general, so this. I think it's just falling into a black void of shit. People know that I don't. <laughs> I've I've recently switched to a um washable like a, a permanent sponge. But I, I, I've had scrub daddies in the past, so I was, I was feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, I good am product, not, but it's a good yeah, question. It's... I think probably uh, the clue there after Corey explained it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you've got information. <laughs> you've got ins. This is this is one of those nice questions where it's just not even like a pop culture thing, but just cultural knowledge. Uh, and clearly, it's not as commonplace as I think you feared. 
Yeah, it, it's a pretty widespread product. It is just, you know, any store you go into will probably have it. So it's not something that is necessarily niche or only sold on QVC mm-hmm. or, you know, as seen on TV. So that's where I was hoping that it would be something that's, like you say, accessible for everybody, although not everybody's going to necessarily know it. Yeah, it's a question kind of in the sense that like a TV commercial jingle question would be where, you know, it's it's around, it's absolutely fair game. But if you, the solo player, are not familiar with this thing that a bunch of people are, you have no one to blame but yourself. All right, I think we've taken the meat off the bone on that, unless Corey has any uh, thoughts or notes on it. No, I just liked it. I like it when I get one right. <laughs> I like the questions that I score points over Jason on. Fair enough. Uh, thankfully, I didn't write about a sponge I'd never heard of. I went in a different direction. Are you guys ready? Sure thing. about a sponge that I've never heard of. Well, fair's fair. Uh, so here's mine. And spoiler <laughs> alert, this is a Corey length question with Jason opinions in it. Uh, oh, here we go. Movie soundtracks are weird. I wanted to find an album that contains songs like Plowed by Sponge, Sugar High by Coyote Shivers, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits, and Say No More, Mon Amour by Rex Manning. So I went on Amazon looking for the soundtrack to what film, which sounds like it was set in New York, but was actually set in Delaware, where you can hear all those songs prominently. Now, surprisingly, not a one is actually on the official soundtrack, which is bullshit. All right. First, I'm going to try to latch on to sounding like it was set in New York. And these are all kind of... uh late 90s, early 2000s, at least plowed by sponge, I want to say. But then you've also got Dire Straits in there. Hmm. Uh, do you have any other clues in there that you can latch on to? Um, no. Honestly, I'm... It's got to have a lot of music in it, in that movie. I mean, he's saying if these songs... Yeah had to have been in the movie but weren't on the official soundtrack it's making me think of oh um what is the name of that movie about the endless playlist i mean nick and nora's infinite playlist yeah that i feel like that just that that was i I don't in new york though i think well and you know it it does say that it sounds like it was set in new york i don't know that that necessarily I don't think it had that. any of those songs, though. Those are, I feel like these are more like mid 90s. I don't think these are even 2000s. I'm trying to think like, you know, Airheads or. Um, yeah, but they're not hard uh, enough for Airheads. What's the, the name of the record store? The, the famous one. Empire? Yeah. Ah, Empire. As in Empire State. That works. Can- Congratulations, um, guys. You were able to, to is, suss it out. Um, yeah, not a movie that a lot of people know. It developed a bit of a cult following after its releases. It tanked at the box office, but it is maybe one of my favorite move, uh, top five movies of all time. It was uh, released in 95, so Corey was right about aiming for that mid-90s feel. Uh, and yeah, all four of those songs are super important to the film, and not a goddamn one of them is on the actual soundtrack. Oh, it is Empire Records. Oh, that's got to be frustrating. Starring a young, and I would argue supple, Liv Tyler. Really? Wow. No Aerosmith on I've... the soundtrack either, believe I'm it or not. Pretty sure I've never seen that. Now I might have to. Oh, it's so good. Liv Tyler is in there. Renee Zellweger is in there. Uh, a handful of other like character style film actors. 
Uh, I tried to throw an outsideable in, and that's the one that you guys latched on. Uh, the one like clue that doesn't have to do with the movie that I threw in was the it was set in New York aspect. Yeah. Uh, and I honestly thought when I researched this that Empire Records was because it was set in New York State, and no, it's apparently friggin' Delaware. Like huh. the movie opens with the the night manager taking all the money and driving to go blow it at Atlantic City. So I'm like, yeah, stands to reason it'd be in New York. No, he went north. Okay. Oh, jeez. I, you know, I am really trying to search my memory to think if I saw this movie, and maybe I did, but I'm, I'm kind of surprising myself that I even made my way to the answer. So, uh, it's, you know, I mean, uh, considering that you, it wasn't an obvious clue. Yeah. But as soon as my brain said the word empire, it was like, oh, hey. So that's the kind of clue. That's a, a yeah, good it, one. It fit the clues and then like working it backwards saying empire records. I know that that's a, a record store. This is clearly music centric. Like it, if, if we were sitting at a table in a pub playing this, I wouldn't feel confident about it, but I'd feel happy enough putting that down as our guess. Like one of those questions yeah, where you, you pulled an answer out of thin air, but it fits everything enough that you're like, I screw it. It might be this. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love a good question like that. I'm glad that this went that route. I had, I had two worries. And one was that I didn't have any reasonable into this. And that two, that this was just some, some Jason content that not a lot of other people know about, <laughs> which I think we kind of uh, stumbled on it being that kind of thing. But I only watch seven movies, so damn it, you're going to hear about them. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. I've got a really good one for you. Since you went the Corey length route, I went the other direction. Are you ready? All right. Yep. Okay. Uh, James and Jason, who lives in a pineapple under the sea. Uh, Gary the Snail, I win. Hmm? Unfortunately, that's not the answer I was looking for. This is a themed round where the word sponge has to be in every <laughs> either question or answer, and that doesn't fit. <laughs> Boy, I thought you had him on a technicality, really. Uh, I, I still argue that technically correct is the best correct. Yeah, but it, did you're not technically correct because it doesn't fit the theme. Where did his grandmama live i'm trying to remember all right before he can come up with like another technicality uh <laughs> what fully matured character created in part by bob brown has the ability to absorb water growing larger the more he absorbs and was once tricked by scorpio's agent number eight into attacking the sea devils spongebob squarepants uh hmm this must have been like past season eight <laughs> if this is indeed SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, Scorpio's agent number eight. I, I don't know um, any of the capitalized words in this question, unfortunately, and I can't get the shit posty uh, SpongeBob SquarePants pre question out of my head. <laughs> well, he says it's a. What's it mean? Like, what do you mean by a fully matured character? I don't know what you mean. What do I mean? I suppose that's the riddle, isn't it? Um, uh, did and and maybe James, you know this wasn't. Am I thinking that there was like a commercial or like an in-universe character in the world of Ren and Stimpy that was like super absorbent, 
or am I just Ooh. putting weird cartoon mm. knowledge together in a way that it wasn't intended intended to? I'm trying I know to f- they had the superhero powdered toast man. Right. And I don't think this is that. No, no. But hmm. Yeah, Boy, Ren and Stimpy, it. that's that's a callback, but man. Um not getting it from fully matured. I I can't pin Bob maybe it's Brown in any way. Sponge Scorpio. Robert cube pants. I don't know. <laughs> Scorpio <laughs> makes me think the Simpsons and their uh, James Bond parody, but that's not right here. <laughs> sea Devils doesn't do anything for me. I swinging and missing across the board. That's all right. I, would you like me to walk you through what I was going for here? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, very clearly, I, I assume uh, I'm teasing the answer SpongeBob by including the name Bob by talking about uh, absorbing water and growing mm-hmm. larger and sea devils, etc. cetera. Uh, SpongeBob is not the answer, but from there, with SpongeBob in mind, I want to talk about a fully matured character. That's really as far as I, I got with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer to this being Sponge Man. Sponge Man, an old uh, DC character. Okay. Old DC Comics. Uh, I, honestly, I don't remember if he was a villain or a hero, uh, but he was, you know, Aquaman uh, storyline type. Nemesis, yeah. I, I think he actually may have been a good guy. But anyway, sounds in, like in he kind of sucked. It, I mean, we're talking like I think it was like '60s or '70s DC comics. I I don't remember much about him, um, but as I was looking for things, I came across him. And I said, "Yeah, I can I can do this." Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to to tease you into SpongeBob territory, and then hopefully you would reason out Sponge Man with the the fully matured and. Uh, you know, just kind of throw a guess out there. Kind of like we did with Empire, but less successfully. <laughs> like, I could see some team looking at this for like a minute or two at a show and not having a damned idea what the answer is and saying, screw it, we need something, time's up. I don't know, fucking Sponge Man? That, and... that sounds good enough. And then just like breaking out into laughter because they're obviously not the right answer. Answer was <laughs> the right answer. Exactly. And that's honestly that's that's one hundred percent what I was going for here. Um, very much wanted a team to answer this kind of the way uh, James and I answered yours, or at least the way I felt about it. Where I was like, I don't know, but it fits, so I'll put it. Um, mm. And with it being, you know, kind of what James was talking about earlier, you know, you have to have some questions that are going to break up the first place tie you know some stuff that either know it or you don't going to be a little bit more difficult so this would be one that i'd play you know later in the night and it's not going to have a high get rate but hopefully those who do get it either get a a laugh out of it or you know they wind up taking the win because it gave them the tie break so yeah Yeah, that's what i was looking for this is an example of a kind of question that i don't think we've ever in the history of this show discussed and that's Almost like a reverse question uh, in the sense that if you have a strong pub trivia team, 
I don't think they're getting this necessarily, but if you have a more casual team, the kind of team that's just going to throw a joke slash wild ass guess answer out, they're pretty likely to actually land this and, and absolutely subvert the expectation. Yep. Those are the best kind of answers when (laughs) you can look at a team and say, you know what? You got it right. And they just, you, you know, break into fits of laughter. Got it right. Is something that I like to say. So you accidentally (laughs) the whole answer. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was going for. And I'm bummed that that you guys weren't able to get it, but I'm actually kind of happy with how it turned out. It was fun to write. I mean, to be fair, we fucking gave up. So (laughs) (laughs) if we, if we were on the spot and you said, okay, we're not continuing until you give an answer. I think James and I would have looked at each other virtually and said, I don't know, fucking sponge man. Sure. Let's move on. Uh, and it would have achieved that, that thing that we're talking about. Exactly. Uh, it's, I think it's the first example in one of those questions that we've had and, uh, I'm still not going to vote for you, but I think you might get some <laughs> votes on it. Uh, so Corey, the master of the voting, um, how do people vote? Oh boy. Uh, well, by now the new website will have been up for several weeks. Um, go to quadriviapodcast.com, check out the newly designed website, but only on a PC. It's fucked up on mobile, unless by now I've fixed it, which I probably haven't because whatever. Go to quadriviapodcast.com, uh, click on shit, I don't remember. I think it's a post it <laughs> note that says keyword challenge. Yeah, yeah. Click on the keyword challenge, post it note, and vote for us. <laughs> the best thing about the new website, Corey, is that it is a post-it note that you have masking taped to the monitor. Well, yeah. Defeating the whole purpose <laughs> of either the post-it note or the masking tape. I'm not sure which. It just felt right, okay? Oh, God. I haven't actually looked at the fine print on the uh, the header for our website, and I'm seeing oh. that you have a copy of our episode notes uh, that's been mocked up uh, with some callbacks like, no more phobia questions and drink more and drink more again and do a sit up uh, and some self and other deprecating comments. Admit you have a problem. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, well, at least we're having it. fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a good time with it. Yeah, no, this this image plays great in an audio meeting. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it anymore. But uh, well, maybe, listeners, go to quadrivypodcast.com so for interactive visual content. Exactly. They'll be so curious by us talking about it that they're like, fuck it, whatever, we'll go. <laughs> Practice pronunciations is on there, Jeremy. Now, yes, it is. Now look at the uh, look at the title bar. Look at the top of the screen. Oh God, okay. I found I had to use a stock. I don't. I don't own a Mac, so uh, I just used a stock image, and it's in like Swedish or something. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Fuck it. All right. Good so we've enough. learned the Swedish word for Chrome is Chrome. Okay. Maybe Swedish. <laughs> it could also be Scandinavian. That that Turkish. rich and diverse language that that is. <laughs> um. Okay. How can people do other stuff, Jason? Oh, you're asking me? Yeah. Well, if, if they want to talk about how absolutely awesome the uh, opening to our website is, they can send us an email. We always love listening 
uh, listeners uh, chiming in at us. It makes this more bi-directional. And that email address is quadriviapod at gmail.com or shoot us some stuff on socials. Uh, we're at quadriviapod on pretty much anything that matters. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, OnlyFans, Grinder, etc., etc. It sounds legit. I mean, it will be by the time this episode ends, knowing you, Corey. Well, <laughs> how many domain names do we have now? Uh, I think we're up to a baker's dozen now. <laughs> let's let's do a trivia, shall we? Let's do it. James, right. I'm ready, ready for it. <laughs> well, and uh, in honor of our roundtable discussion, tailing, tailoring yourself and your content to your audience, I decided... Uh, for this week's episode, I was going to pull from a format that I've done online uh, for about a year now that we mentioned during the roundtable a little bit. And that topic or that uh, that format is called Tringo. And one of the central conceits of Tringo is that I take four teams who won previous games on my channel uh, over the course of that last week and their prizes effectively to suggest almost in a keyword challenge sense, uh, some kind of topic for me to write a 10 question theme round about that gets mixed in with all the other stuff, uh, both old and new, that that makes Tringo work. Now, sometimes they they go for something like hyper specific, like I've done rounds, for instance, on um, <laughs> my favorite movies where you watch the dog die. Oh God! I will not subject you to that round. That was an entire round. Yep. And me, being me, was tasked with, well, how do I make this not the most depressing round in <laughs> history? Um, so as a side note, what I did is I, I monkeys potted a little bit and uh, I said trying to put the dog back in the movie was effectively my take. So I, I gave the year and I gave a brief description of the film and I took the title of the movie, added the letters D.O.G. and then anagrammed it into some nonsense ass phrase. Uh, so you had like three different directional ends to identify a well-known movie where you see the friggin dog die. Um, not doing that with you guys. Uh, instead I am talking about a round that I wrote, uh, mostly cause I wanted to play around with the idea of monkeys pawing while still giving the, the team who submitted it what they wanted and the category that they had suggested for that particular week. Um, knowing that I am just garbage at writing this, uh, topic was fine arts. Now I thought it was like, going to be puns. <laughs> no, I'm not garbage at puns, sir. I am ponderful at those. Uh, yeah. uh, so as I was complaining about it in a later stream, I was typing it in chat and I, ac I accidentally spoonerized it a little bit as I typed it. And it basically at a glance read fire ants instead of fine arts. So that was my in. Uh, so the round is titled, did you say fine arts or fire ants? And what I did was I went to the Wikipedia entry for fire ants and I found 10 little factoids or tangential connections to fire ants and then took those as inspiration to write 10 honest to god questions about the fine arts and i okay. am providing you both for no other reason than i thought it was funny oh god all right so this is a fine arts round but you're also going to learn 10 fans 10 facts about fire ants for no good reason are you ready that's what trivia is for is for learning yeah as ready as i can be all right, hopefully these play fair to middlingly difficult. I mean, fine arts is is a very feast or famine kind of topic. But as I approached this, I knew that not everybody's cup of tea was going to be it. So I tried to find ones that are at least recognizable to where you hear the answer. And you go, oh, OK, I could have guessed that. 
Uh, let's see if I hit the mark. Starting with question one. Fire ants can also be known as ginger ants. Ginger is a key element in the 19th century opera Hansel and Gretel, written by what German composer whose name has weirdly been co-opted as a stage name by after the loving balladeer Arnold Dorsey? That's a lot of facts. Well, you connect that fire is... ants to after the yeah. loving and make it fine hearts. Oh, Hansel and Gretel. But the German composer to go with it. Oh. See, you're right. This is going to be one of those. I should know that. I should. I'll hear the answer. Um, trying to think of German composers. Uh, I don't. And, and see, I'm just going to name a composer. I don't know. Edvard Grieg. Is that German? Sounds German uh, to me. You know, they did uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that's going to be my contribution to this question. Corey, do you have anything to go on? Um, I did not know that there was a Hansel and Gretel opera. I'm not well versed in German composers. I also don't know who have... Arnold Dorsey is. That that might be my only in. After the Lovin'. I think I know who that is. Um, which I'll reveal to you in just a moment. <laughs> I But what I don't know is uh, saying that it was co-opted. I don't know if it's the same name or just like part of the name or just influenced by. Oh, I'll let, I'll let I, you know it is literally the same name. Okay. It's weird as hell. I don't get a it. A but... little bit better. Um, and I think that would put me at like, uh, honestly, a 70% confidence on this. I believe Arnold Dorsey is Engelbert Humperdinck. How do you feel mm, about that, Engel James? Engelbert but Humperdinck. I didn't know that that was somebody else's name as well. I didn't. I don't know if there's a um, German composer with that name. Um, I only happen to know that because I've done hump yeah. rounds before. <laughs> Yeah, you know, of the Hamburg Humperdinks, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, laugh you know, about I mean, it all you want, but, but Corey is absolutely right. There was that, a, uh, a 19th God. century German composer <laughs> whose actual God-given name is Engelbert Humperdinck, and a guy with the perfectly normal name, Arnold Dorsey, said, now, I want this name, and just took it. Oh, boy. Well, I guess it comes in handy sometimes to write rounds titled things like the butt and penis and hump <laughs> yeah i thought maybe your experience as a wedding dj might lead you there because you'll occasionally find the song after the loving on yeah, like I've, wedding I've compilation playlists or, or cds uh that's yeah. honestly the only reason i'm familiar with it by name uh is because it shows up uh when i search my music library at weddings for like love ballads and this one shows up all the time i'm like oh that's engelbert humperdinck i that's literally the sum total of my knowledge on engelbert humperdinck <laughs> yeah I, i've actually got a, a handful of uh humperdinck songs that are in my my wedding playlist so i'm yeah yeah he's and not an weirdly... unfamiliar name but that's god what a weird way to get to it <laughs> weirdly this had all the earmarks of a Jason writes a princess bride related question. And I just didn't <laughs> on this one. That's all right. Know. All right. You guys ready for number two? Fuck. Yeah. Let's Please. Do it. All right. 
Question two, in fine arts or fire ants, there are over 200 currently known species of fire ant in the world. There are over 200 of what large, surprising to find in the middle of a desert objects combined in Las Vegas's city center plaza to make a sculpture titled Big Edge by Nancy Rubens? Yeah, I think I actually might know this. I think that they're half-buried items. Does that sound good to you, Corey? I trust you. Just just looking at the wording and, and guessing things, I I would have said like a water fountain or something. Like thinking like the, the water show at the Bellagio, you know, because who expects to see water fountains in the middle of a desert? Yeah. But I, I honestly have no idea. And I don't even know if that, you know, would be considered a sculpture. So if you've got a feeling on it, I trust you. You got us to yeah. Empire. You can take us on this one. I think that this is uh, where they have a bunch of half-buried cars. I don't know if we need to be any more specific than that, but, uh, I mean, this, I want to say, you know, like those 50s with the fins and things like that. Uh, so that's what I'm going to say. It's like the, the Stonehenge of cars. Ooh, wow. Interesting guess. And I will tell you two things that are probably going to make you mad. Uh, one, you're in the right direction with cars. And two, you're in the writer direction with things that have fins on them. Uh, but even more surprising to find in the middle of a desert than a bunch of cars would be a bunch of boats. Okay. Huh. huh. Well, I, you are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a couple examples of, of sculptures that you could call Carhenge. Uh, I think we kind of had one in my neck of the woods rural illinois you guys remember the like opening uh scenes of wayne's world right yeah like that oh, like skewered yeah. tower of cars that's that's a real thing or at least it was i don't know if it's around anymore huh. yeah right. i know what you're talking about yeah i'm uh i'm i'm gonna have to look up later where i i know about that uh the half buried cars i want to say they're like slightly at an angle or whatever but uh, might not be in Vegas, so we'll find out that later on. But yeah, I, Nancy I think bury I'm a bunch of boats. Oh, she didn't bury them. They're just a bunch of boats welded together in a modern art piece. Oh, so they're not even buried boats. They're no. just, they're just boats. Oh, I guess that's not in your question. Damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not that right, that could... would make any difference at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cars was not a terrible guess. You oh, weren't too far my... off the. The mark, and if they were going to do another spinoff of cars, I think they're at boats at this point. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy right. to have gotten it wrong in that way. So, good, it's a good question. Right thunder, wrong lightning. Uh, number three coming at you fire ants are known for their distinctive stinging defense. The 1973 right film was thunder and left was lightning. No, right is righty and left is Jose, but that's I think we're talking two different things. I thought it was right. righty tighty lefty loosey. Uh, no, lefty is pretty tight. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Three people will understand exactly what I'm talking about upon listening. Everybody else is just assuming correctly <laughs> that I'm talking about my balls. Number three, uh, fire ants are known for their distinctive stinging defense. The 1973 film The Sting famously featured a piece of music by what composer and pianist as its musical theme? Composer and what? Uh, pianist. Ah, got it. Okay. <laughs> Had an Animaniacs flashback for a minute there. 
Oh, I love that episode. <laughs> um, I believe no, that I do know I'd this. rather not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think I know this one, and uh, this was a song that when my parents said, hey, you should take piano lessons, that my teacher decided to give me the sheet music for. Granted, I think it was a much simpler version. Uh, I I want to make sure that I get the name right, but Corey, are you familiar with the song The Entertainer? Yeah. And I want to say the, like the answer the rag, is... The... Right? Yeah. Is Joplin, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, you're correct. It is, in fact, uh, famed composer and pianist Janis Joplin. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, Scott Joplin, the <laughs> yeah. as Corey pointed out, the, uh, the the guy who wrote a whole bunch of like early 20th century piano rags. Yeah. Uh, Maple Leaf Rag, I think, was another one as well. Yeah, probably his other best known work uh, to survive to this day, I would think. All right, good. Hey, so we're, we're starting to get into this fine arts thing. I'm feeling good. Yeah, you're, you're two out of three so far. That ain't bad. All right, so you guys are batting uh, 667 right now. Let's see if that's going to go up or down with question four. Like other ant varieties, fire ants have a hierarchical social structure centered on a queen. 19th century French player, uh, painter Paul de la Roche is best known for his painting depicting the execution of what brief and disputed queen who died before her 18th birthday. Got to I've got a guess. This is not my wheelhouse. I am not the the history player. So I just, I, anything was, I guessed would just be stupid. How old was Marie Antoinette when she died? Oh. I feel like she was older, <laughs> but that would, uh, like I said, anything I say may be really fucking stupid. But was Joan of Arc ever considered a queen of something or disputedly a queen? Because wasn't she no. like 17 when she was executed? I want to say she made it into her 20s. Was but... she like 17 when she fought then? I think I she's like I remember younger than 17 young. when she fought. Yeah, like 14 or 15. I'm, we're going to have to deep dive after this one and uh, correct the record on that. But is that is that a stupid guess? <laughs> I don't know, SpongeBob or SpongeMan would have been a good guess. So, um, so real quick, Joan of Arc uh, in, appears to have died around the age of nineteen, for what's oh, worth. Okay. So you were pretty close on that. I don't, at a quick glance, know how old she was when she did all the Joan of Arcing, but well, now the I only have no idea. I can't think of any other French queens, you know, depicted with an execution, you know. Um, yeah, I feel like Marie Antoinette lived longer, but I I really am out of my wheelhouse on, on history. Yeah, same here. Uh, so without dragging it out any further, we'll just lock in with that. See, something interesting happened here that I didn't necessarily expect, uh, which was you parsing the question and locking in on the factual but not a clue word French. Uh, Paul de la Roche may have been French, but the answer was not actually oh. <laughs> uh this is uh maybe the most famous disputed so queen in european history it would uh, uh be the queen i believe after or before uh um the first queen mary and that is lady jane gray huh. oh of the x-men right yeah <laughs> yeah she was uh with cyclops and then wolverine 
Yeah. And then broke off for like a one shot, which lasted roughly a week, and then she died. <laughs> Didn't know she was under eighteen, yeah. and since uh, Wolverine is like yeah. fucking old, that's mm. a little more uncomfortable. Ooh. Yeah. Well, we need to have a real conversation at some point about the depiction of that, especially in the movies, because, like you said, uh, Wolverine is old, and Jean Grey was like fourteen when they met. Hmm. Ah. <sighs> Well, that's, that's some fine art. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four. <laughs> that was uh, that was number four. Let's do number five. See if we can get you on the winning <laughs> side of five hundred again. Uh, question five: Ashburn, Georgia, is home to an annual fire ant festival. Georgia O'Keeffe painted, among her other notable motifs like skyscrapers and flowers that maybe didn't look like just flowers, landscapes in what U.S. state? Uh, thinking Southwest. Mm. Um, you know, it's well, going to be. I know that the Ashburn Fire Ant Festival is held in Georgia. Good. It certainly <laughs> is. Nice, nice pull there. Wait, way to get your confirmation bias on. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Skyscrapers, flowers, landscapes. Um. <clears throat> You know the the whole New Mexico slash Arizona thing is is popping up for me. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, so I feel like it's just going to be a coin flip for me on which I would pick. So unless you can think of a place where O'Keefe was painting landscapes, I got nothing else. And you know I feel like New Mexico would have the better landscapes if i was going to take that guess yeah i'm i'm okay with that i mean i can think of like two okay pieces off the top of my head so i'm do they look no help on this one either <laughs> well did they look deserty uh they look like uh flowers but did they do look the like flowers, flowers Corey? Do well, the flowers remind you of anything? <laughs> vaginas. Okay. <laughs> All right, what's the lock-in, gents? I, New Mexico. I like New Mexico, yeah. I mean, you should like New Mexico. It is absolutely right. It's, it's. I would say, one of the two kind of Pavlovian facts that the trivia people know about Georgia O'Keeffe is, one, uh, she painted some very vulvic-looking flowers, and two, uh, she lived, loved, and painted New Mexico a lot. In fact, the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum... I believe is currently found in Albuquerque. It's either there or Santa Fe. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but she is like a big native daughter of New Mexico. All right. So you guys are, you're batting uh, 600 right now. Let's see if that continues with question six. I, I think Fu I'm batting 100 <laughs> and James is batting 600. You are doing great. All right. Number six, fire ants are preyed on in nature by among other species, Venus flytraps. Venus. Yes is also the second movement of The Planet, a, planet. a 1910s orchestral suite written by Gustav Holst. What planet is the namesake for the first movement of that work? Uh, okay, well, the somewhat obvious answer would maybe be Mercury. You know, I mean, it, considering he said Venus was second, right? it just makes sense. You know, uh, the only other thing I could think of, you know, started with Earth and moved outward but yeah um and it was 
1910, so we knew where the planets were. It wasn't like they weren't sure where the orbits were or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I so, mean, uh, and since it's in the same work, it's, it's you know, a movement yeah. in the same suite, then it would make sense if he's doing the planets. So mm -hmm. I, I'm good with Mercury. Yeah, Occam's Razor says the answer is Mercury. All right, and Mercury is absolutely the name of the third movement, believe it or not, oh, of, of the planets. Uh, I included this one, um, honestly, as a bit of a fuck you. I'm a, I'm, I'm a level with you. Uh, I looked up the planets and I'm like, okay, so they have the seven planets. They didn't include Pluto because at the time it wasn't a planet and whatever. Uh, they It didn't include Earth either for whatever reason. Uh, but for reasons that I cannot specifically determine, uh, he started with Mars in 1914 and then went to Venus and then went back to Mercury and it extended out uh, to the outer planets from there with Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Okay, but why? I wish I could tell you. Okay, well, thanks, Jason. I am I am not now, nor have I ever been Gustav Holst, so I can't speak to the uh, <laughs> rationale. Um, I finally maybe... felt okay with an answer. <laughs> Well, we did say a planet, so, I mean, we had a shot. I mean, there's, in my head, maybe it has something to do with the concept of astrology because the concept of the piece is more astrological than astronomical, so maybe Mars has some kind of primary position in that sense, but... Uh... Maybe he was just an asshole. Yeah, let's go, let's go with Gustav Holst, the famous asshole that he was. <laughs> this will show him. <laughs> and I thank him 107 years later for giving me a question that made my fine arts people uh, lock in too quickly and get it wrong. <laughs> well, I guess it's one of those one thing with his life then. Yeah. Another one of those almost double reverse <laughs> questions where, you know, the, the stupid guess, like if you just threw a planet out, didn't even try to logic it is more likely than the logic answer. Huh? Right. I'm Number okay with that. Happens. Number seven coming at you. Fire ant males are generally known as drones. What musical instrument with an internally rhyming name typically contains at least one drone string, along with a hand-cranked wheel and a keyboard, making it like a weird-ass hybrid of a violin, a bagpipe, and a barrel organ? Uh, James, is this a hurdy-gurdy? Ooh, um, that's, well, I mean, it rhymes. Uh, and I, I can't picture it though, but I remember, I don't think either of you were on the episode, but we were doing another quadrivia episode and just naming really stupid instruments. <laughs> I think it might've been the harpsichord keyword challenge. Uh, oh, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that that jumps straight to mind, and I mean it's it's rhyming, it's weird, and it's Jason. All right, uh, this time I will follow your lead, and let's go to the tape and see what the answer is. You know, it is rhyming, it is weird, it is Jason, and it is and it's wrong. absolutely right. Nice job. Oh, thank God. Yeah, uh, folk instrument found primarily in the Irish uh, tradition. In fact, I went down a hell of a rabbit hole at like two in the morning when I wrote this round uh, because I wanted to find some way to get to hurdy-gurdy descriptively. So I went to YouTube and typed in hurdy-gurdy and I, I found this really awesome YouTube channel of this like 
uh, younger Irish singer songwriter hurdy gurdy artist, and she friggin' slaps. So yeah. I'm gonna pull that up real quick. Uh, forgive the audio on this. Uh, because I want to give her an appropriate shout out. Um, because occasionally I just I go back uh, and and watch and listen to her stuff. Uh, her name is Patty Gurdy, G U R D Y, and Patty is P A T T Y, uh, and she is awesome. And the music is really cool to listen to. It's got that very like post Renaissance fair kind of sound, but it's not like bardcore, almost a Lindsey Sterling, but with a different instrument kind of thing. Huh. I'll take your word for it on that. I mean, just YouTuber, man. That's that's. Well, no, I mean, I just, you know, all the references that you're putting out there, you know, just whew, right over the head. Sorry. See, a renaissance <laughs> fair is when a bunch of nerds decide they want to show off the tops of their chests and drink mead and sword each other. That's what I do there. That's verbatim. That's my priority list. Number eight Showing off up. the top of your chest. In order, each that's other. my priority list, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, number eight dirty. in uh, fine hearts or fire ants. Fire ants are an invasive species originally from South America. What famed South American poet of Alturas de Machu Picchu and politician was described as, quote, the greatest poet of the 20th century in any language by fellow writer... Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Ooh, I don't, I don't know any South American poets that were also um, politicians. Uh, South American poets. Um, yeah, that dead air you're hearing is <laughs> <laughs> Corey and, and my brains just kind of going. Uh, <laughs> I Honestly, listen. I don't know why this is coming to mind but there was also a muralist i don't know if this guy was a poet as well and he did guernica and i that was the name of the mural and i can't remember that guy's name you and... mean uh hernica guernica <laughs> <laughs> oh um... i would the answer to this be found in a song from Rent. It would be found in a song from Rent. That song, uh, La Vie Bohème, for what it's worth. That okay. All right, James. I know what it is, but I, finish your your train of thought. My train of thought? Yeah, you were. Uh, I, it pulled into the station I, minutes I ago. I don't know. <laughs> um, I I can't think of the name of the muralist. Uh, so if you say what uh, your answer is, I'll tell you if it matches. Uh, I'm thinking Pablo Neruda. Uh, that is not ringing a bell for me. So, all you. I honestly, I, I feel, I, I think I remember that Pablo Neruda is like Chilean or something. That's the only guess I've got. So, uh, let's do it. Jason, tell me it's Pablo Neruda. <laughs> Well, no, I know well, it is, because you said it's in the song. Well, I'll tell you this much uh, to start. Unless there was the, another one in there. <laughs> the the obscure mural that James is thinking of, uh, Guernica, it was painted by a guy, it's possible you've heard of him, uh, Pablo Picasso. <laughs> oh. This, like Corey pointed out, was the other famous artistic Pablo, uh, found 
as a name drop in the song La Vivo and by Rent. Uh, famed poet and one-time senator for Chile, Pablo Neruda. Good job. So he was from Chile. Nice. Uh, had no idea he was a politician, though. You know, don't feel bad because I didn't know either until I did some research to write this question. Nice. Okay. I just think that's a really nice nod that that Marquez, who, um, if you don't know the name, uh, I'm pretty sure he is most famous for like 100 Years of Solitude. Yeah, that guy. Uh, the greatest poet of the 20th century in any language. Like, that's that's high praise. And I just wanted to throw that in there because that's just a cool thing to call somebody. Yeah, that's, that's what I make all of my trivia players call me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, also Ted Mosby, uh, the character from How I Met Your Mother, had a huge heart on for Neruda. So, <laughs> are you guys ready for number nine? We are uh, speaking of trains and stations. We're almost pulled into this right. one. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Question nine in fine arts or fire ants. Several species of weaver ant in Southeast Asia are also referred to as fire ants. A weaver would likely be familiar with what two four-letter W words? that describe the interlaced sets of threads that combine to make the end result textile. Uh, special note here on one of these answers, I will accept it in two different forms. Well, I would immediately gravitate towards wool. Um, I, almost, I don't know if it's hmm. right, but I mean... It, it almost sounds like, like the horizontal and the vertical threads have names what it sounds like to me it's not necessarily that it's made of wool i have no idea and uh, yeah i mean i, I mean just wave like... and wove would, would kind of make sense with uh him saying that it could come in like i don't know i don't fucking know i don't care all right we're gonna <laughs> we're just gonna give up easily on this one apparently <laughs> uh with wave and wove I mean, I will, I will definitely concede that this is the kind of question that if you don't have a little bit of knowledge of, of weaving, uh, you're going to have a hard time with it. Uh, that said, these are very, very common words in that kind of space. Uh, weave, or uh, what did you say? Wave and wove? Not yeah. terrible guesses, not actually that far off the mark, but the two terms uh, that would get you the points on this are warp and either weft or woof. They're kind of interchangeable. Okay. The weft, yeah, weft actually is pinging something in my brain, but yeah, um, and and I feel like I should should have picked that up because I saw a uh, either an article or a video about how punch cards were used to allow weaving machines to work more efficiently and, mm -hmm. and do complex patterns, and I almost bet that those two words were somewhere in there, and they just kind of passed right through one ear and out the other so not a yeah I, th I think that's you know while it's difficult i think it is still gettable just not by us <laughs> fair enough your audience is, is going to vary on on the get rates on this for sure um something i found a little interesting as i kind of updated it before today's recording is that warp and weft are are kind of used euphemistically uh in english to describe basically the same thing that you would use the word fabric to poetically describe like uh the warp and weft of one's life Interesting. as an example and yeah yeah uh so it's entirely possible you've heard that term not necessarily in a weaving context or or maybe not uh <laughs> <laughs> that's also possible <laughs> 
Well, let's go ahead and wrap up with number 10 and let's hope for a big finish. Yeah, that's the beauty of kind of an infinite option space is all things are equally plausible. Uh, <laughs> question 10, and let's see if you can get this one. Fire ant rafts, where tens of thousands of ants clumped together for survival, were a striking image that came from Hurricane Harvey. Harvey yes. is True. the title character of a 1945 Pulitzer winning play by Mary Chase that is said to resemble a six foot tall anthropomorphic version of what type of animal? I think I know this one. All right, then give us a win. All right, just write in. I just, I, I'm trying to remember where this was also referred, but it was something about like an invisible six foot tall rabbit named Harvey. So the answer is a rabbit. That actually rings a bell. I feel oddly comfortable with that answer. Um, I, I'm 100% behind you on that. All right. Nice. Good job, guys. Uh, I think it helps that this play turned into, I think, a pretty well-received film uh, several years later. Yeah, Harvey is a, a giant, invisible, like, rabbit thing. <laughs> well, all yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we did, you know, yeah. for fine arts and fire ants pretty right. well. At the end of that round, sitting in a bar... I would look at you and I would cheers you and I would say, I feel better than I thought I would. I mean, on the spot, just the two of you and not presumably being fine arts aficionados, you guys hit six out of 10. You should not feel ashamed at that. And a couple of these were intentionally written to throw off even fine arts fans. Uh, but my hope in writing this was that you could at least have heard of or could go back and see how the answer once you saw it made sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, actually, even the ones we got wrong, I feel like, uh, you know, a couple of them had something that we were like, yeah, you know, somewhere along the way, we should have picked this up and, and held on to it in our brain. So, yeah, uh, definitely, you know, even though I joked about it, Warp and Weft, I got to say there there is something about that. And I think that one's going to be the one that sticks with me the most out of all of these. Well, yeah, you know, what's going to stick with me the most. What's that? The fun I had playing this with James. Yep, the real so fire ants for the friends we made <laughs> along the way. <laughs> it's uh, the finest of all the arts. Oh, and the fieriest Corey. of all the ants. <laughs> and the Man, all right. On a, that note, we are we're yeah. clearly out of steam, out of gas, and and out of time. Uh, should we wrap things up? Wrap away. Probably, yeah. <laughs> all right i'll kick us off uh, i've been jason with liquid courage entertainment you can find me seven nights and two afternoons a week online at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage courage with the letter k uh, where we provide trivia and as my regulars have jokingly referred to it trivia adjacent content uh i am always Corey with third degree entertainment you can find me at third degree entertainment and I am James Key, the Trivia Nerd, and you'll be able to find me on my website, thetrivianerd.com, as well as Facebook, uh, Twitter, maybe even Instagram, at thetrivianerd, and you can email me at thetrivianerd at gmail.com, and soon to be found live weekly with my very own show. I'm so proud of you. My baby anthropomorphic <laughs> rabbit is all grown up. <laughs> 
You're like six feet tall now. And I'm I'm so glad that I had such a great network of hosts to give me those pushes that I needed. And even though I was a little resistant at first, uh, maybe even especially with Jason, because uh, he was the <laughs> one that maybe pushed pushed the hardest. But you know, hey, look at me now, Ma. Look, I I told you on multiple occasions, stop working where you're working. Start either working for me or work for yourself. And I'm glad that you picked one of those two directions. <laughs> uh, speaking well, of that network, Corey, um, yeah. if if hosts and writers wanted to join the Trivia Writers Co-op, how would they go about finding our secret society? Well, uh, there's at least two easy ways. One is TriviaWriters.com. Go to TriviaWriters.com. That will lead you to the Trivia Writers Co-op uh, Discord, where we gather to talk about quadrivia, about trivia, about business. We also just shoot the shit uh and talk about whatever we want to uh but that would be the best way to learn about us just come and ask us questions the other way would be at triviawriterscoop.com because i was drunk one night and i thought man we need to have a personal domain for our trivia writers discord and so i went to godaddy and i searched triviawriters.com and i saw it was taken so I was like, well, I guess we'll be TriviaWritersCoop.com. Unaware of the fact that I was the one who had taken Trivia Writers. The uh, first so... step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> well, it's is it a problem or do we just now have two great domain names? Yes. Good. Uh, speaking Either of domain way. names, make sure you check us out at quadtriviapodcast.com <laughs> yes. for uh, keyword challenges, suggestions on roundtable discussions, or to remind Corey that he bought quadriviapodcast.com. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can at quadriviapod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on all social uh, platforms of relevance, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. at quadriviapod. And with that, we need an outro.com. Isn't that right, Corey? Oh, no, we have that. We have we need an outro.com. Is that our outro? We need an outro.com? Maybe I'll just go by we have we need an outro.com.com. <laughs> hey, Corey from the future here. Uh, just wanted to let you know we do not have we need an outro.com. We have we need an outro.org. We need an outro.org. I could go by.com. But I've been told that I've bought too many already. So just go to the .org or go to our regular domain. Bye. Where do we go? Hey, um, Dween, before we lose you, could I, uh, I've got like these really high ceilings in my kitchen and one of the lights is burnt out. Do you have like a 12 foot ladder I could rent from you? Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, 
problem is it's got lube all over it. I would not suggest using it uh, until it has dried out completely. Uh, but uh, I'll be sure to bring it over in my uh, burgundy van. Uh, <laughs> you're, windowless you're and 501 feet away from Astro elementary van. school at all times. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, find me at burgundyvanladder.com and I'll be sure to... <laughs> drive it over it's it's gonna be uh yeah strapped to the top for safety oh no